Amen. Amen. Hey, let's take our seats, and while you're doing that, get your Bibles out, and let's open them up to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one somewhere in front of you in the row. Uh, grab that, open it up. We want to take a look at a message today that I've entitled, A Focused Heart. A Focused Heart. We've just been singing about the fact that there's only one who is truly worthy. There's only one that really should have our focus. And yet we find in our lives so many distractions. And so I would ask you this question this morning, and that is, what do you find yourself focused on these days? What is it that you find yourself focused on? What uh, takes up your time? What is the priority demonstrated by how much effort you put into it? And uh, I can say all that because the Leafs are out of the playoffs and I just don't have to care about hockey anymore. So, um, but what do you find yourself focused on? Um, maybe it's your family. Uh, maybe there's a, a disproportionate amount of time that you're focused on things that are around your family. Or, or maybe it's your health. Maybe you've been to the doctor and you're waiting for a report and you just find yourself so consumed with, with that thing in your life right now. Or, or maybe it's about money as you're going to the gas station and paying a mortgage payment to fill your gas tank on your car and, and you're just like, oh, and that just, it's just, you're just consumed by it all of the time. Uh, maybe it's your job. Maybe it's about getting ahead. Uh, I don't know what your thing is, but what do you find yourself consumed about and you don't find yourself consumed about the Lord? You don't see him as the priority in your life. As a matter of fact, everything's going through the grid of all the tyranny of the urgent in these things, but you've forgotten the one who is your hope to carry you through the difficult days or the trials that you have, or even the things that are wonderful that are happening in your life and you're not turning around and seeing how God is working in those things. And Maybe on the journey, you find yourself losing heart. You find yourself losing heart. Um, in the text we're going to see today, two-point sermon. Don't worry, there's some sub-points, so it will go for 40 minutes or so. Um, um, but the term we do not lose heart appears twice. And uh, maybe that's you today. Maybe you're one of those people and you just find yourself losing heart. The idea of lose heart from the original uh, is the idea of um, faint-hearted or cowardice. It, it goes as far as to a, a lack of courage, but it even goes beyond that. You're even displaying, um, you're displaying in your life behavior that just demonstrate that you've lost heart in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what we want to talk about today. Um, I want to have a focused heart. So let me give you a few signs that you might be losing heart. Not all of them have to apply to you. Maybe a one or two of them do. Maybe um, one of the signs you're losing heart is that you're not persistent in prayer like you used to be. You used to be. Um, every morning you made sure you had prayer before you got off on your day. You made sure you were, you were trusting God to do things. You were counting on the Holy Spirit to come through for you. And just in your journey, you've lost a... a a passion and a practice of persistent prayer, and along with that probably comes a lacking of time in the Word. There was a time in your life when you were spending more and more time in the Word of God, and now you find yourself, that's set aside, the, the book comes out to bring to church on Sunday, if that, and, uh, and you're just not focused in the Word anymore, and, and, and you're wondering why you're losing heart. Um, Maybe you're growing weary and doing good. You just, like, I keep serving, I keep serving, I keep serving, but I don't see the blessing. I don't see a God using any of it, and I'm just not sure. And 
It's causing you to lose heart. Maybe, maybe you're facing tribulation. Maybe you're just going through a very difficult season and the difficult season is consuming you and you've lost heart. Um, tribulation is difficult. Tribulation is hard. And it's during those, it's lean in time when we uh, trust the Lord and we focus on him. And, or maybe you're losing heart because sin is ruling in your heart. And you've got unconfessed sin. And uh, you're allowing things to be in your life that ought not be there. You're allowing sin to rule in your heart and you're not dealing with it. It's unconfessed. It's unrestrained. And as a result, you're, you're losing heart. Um, this message is for this preacher this morning. Um, I was telling the guys when we were praying today, going, going through a difficult season. Not a bad season, not a, and these things are good for us in our lives because they cause us to get our focus on the Lord, but these are tough days for Paul Whittingstall, and I'm not looking for your sympathy, I'm not looking for anything, I'm just, I'm learning in this, the very things I'm going to talk about today, I, I'm learning these things in my life, and I hope they will help you in your life. You know what you need to do to drift spiritually in your life? Nothing. That's how you drift. You don't drift by some plan to drift. You drift by sloppiness. You drift by, and you do nothing, and you will drift. You know how to grow weeds in your garden? Exactly. Do nothing. And some of us, that's our problem. We're not, we're not focused enough on the word. We're not focused enough in prayer. We're not challenged in fellowship. We're not asking the Holy Spirit to do anything in our lives. And, and we find ourselves in a difficult season and I just love that in this text, Paul, two times to the church in Corinth, um, he tells them, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. So you got your Bibles. Let's stand. We want to honor God as we read his word. And yes, I'm going to read the whole chapter because it's so important for us. And then we'll, we'll fly through it. So here we go. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice I'm cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what uh, has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. 
knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us along with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it's all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen. You can take your seats. Two things I want you to see today. Two principles I want us to focus on so that we will not lose heart. There are others in Scripture, but in this text, there are two that I think are are plainly seen, and I want to dive in and, and see them. So here's the first one. We want to be focused on our calling. We have this ministry by the mercy of God. Do not lose heart. We have this ministry by the mercy of God. Do not lose heart. Now, I tend to be a grace person. I tend to think about grace first. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift from God, not of works so that no one can boast. So I I tend to think in the context of all the things that God's just poured out on us and all of his blessings and all of his goodness, and that's found in this text as well. It's just not surrounded by the do not lose heart part. You're going to see grace. We're going to talk about it in it. And so I tend to think that way in my life about, man, Lord, you saved me. I was a wretch. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. And you made me alive and you saved me. And God's grace, God's grace, God's grace, God's grace. But that's not what he talks about here. It's not what he talks about here. Um, Grace is getting what we don't deserve. But in this text, he talks about mercy. And mercy is not getting what we do deserve. He says, you have this ministry by the mercy of God. You have this ministry, this this not getting what you should be getting by the mercy of of God. You see this in Scripture in Lamentation 3, 22 and 23. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God not giving you what you deserve is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Right? If you just, uh, you don't need to, but you flip back uh, one book to Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, by God not giving you what you deserve to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And, and so God, in this text, as he's uh, working through Paul to give us the word, he puts the focus on the word mercy and and. And so we need to be thinking about God's goodness to us. And and he says, we have this ministry by the mercy of God. Now, as you look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it's that old thing, eh? The word therefore. So what's it therefore? That's, uh, you know, you've heard that once. You heard it. I think you heard it last week. Um, We have this ministry by the mercy of God. Therefore. Therefore, so what's it, what is it there for? Well, it could be referring back to the rest of the book coming up to it, but for sure it leads to the verse before in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transferred into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's just this awesome work of God, this awesome working of God in our lives. Therefore, therefore, by the mercies of God, 
Do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. God's working in us with the undeserved. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. So I think in the text, I'm going to pick out four things that I see that will help us. Um, evidences that were characteristics in Paul's life and should be evidences in our life that will help us to not lose heart. And so here's the first one. The first one is found in uh, verses 2 and 3, and that is be faithful. Be faithful. Don't lose heart, but be faithful. It says, but we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are, are perishing. We need to be people who are faithful, uh, faithful to what God has called us to, faithful to the word of God. Um, I love the fact that he starts out here and he talks about disgraceful and underhanded ways. There are so many disgraceful and underhanded ways that are happening in the name of Jesus, in the name of the church today, where people have compromised from the word of God. They're not preaching the whole counsel of God. They're nitpicking the things they want. And then they say crazy things like, you just trust Jesus and he'll give you everything you want. It doesn't say that in the Bible. The Bible tells us there will be trials and there will be struggles and this world is going to be filled with them as a result of sin. But we look forward to something that's so much greater, right? That's what we look forward to. And this word world will be difficult. The Lord promises, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, but it's going to be hard. So don't compromise on the word of God. We live in a society that's pressuring us now to compromise on the word of God. And we need to be people of the book Staying faithful to what it says, not compromising in anything. God, help us to do that. Help us to do it in loving and truthful and gracious ways. But, oh, God, help us to be that, that we would be and we would remain faithful. We wouldn't dilute, water down the word of God. We wouldn't dilute or water down the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to give you an illustration of where that could happen. And I'm not saying the statement I'm going to say is bad. It's just not complete, right? And that would be, I asked Jesus into my heart. I asked Jesus into my heart. Is that wrong? Is it wrong to ask Jesus? In? No, it's not. It's not. It's incomplete. See, if it's only just ask Jesus into your heart and everything will be fine, it misses out on the reality of sin and the cost of sin and the payment of sin. It misses out on the need for repentance and turning and following Jesus Christ. Ask Jesus into your heart is an easy believism without the rest of it. It's just like, yeah, yeah, I need Jesus in some way. And so like, I like him, I'm for him, I'm asking him into my heart. We need to make sure that we preach the full gospel of Jesus Christ which includes our brokenness and our sinfulness and our need for a Savior. So did, did, did Paul Whittingstall say, stop saying, ask Jesus into your heart? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, make sure that we give people the whole story. You don't understand the need to ask Jesus into your heart if you don't understand the consequences and then the reality and the payment of sin and what Christ has done for us. If I just wake up every morning and go, yeah, I asked Jesus into my heart, that's, that's one thing. But if you wake up in the morning and you're living out of, by the mercies of God, by not getting what you deserve, now I'll live my life for the glory of God. And so the first thing that Paul lays out for them, I believe, is that we need to be people who are, who are faithful. 
We're faithful. And he says in verse 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are, are perishing. The word veiled means to be covered up or blinding or hated. And, uh, and the result is for people who are veiled, who are blinded, who are hating the word of God, um, they're perishing. It helps us understand the weight of what the gospel is and the working of Jesus Christ and the hope that we have that comes from it. The, the gospel will accomplish what it's supposed to accomplish. Um, in verse 4 it says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. We could go on in that forever, but we don't have time this morning. And so I want to tell you to start with this. When, when you feel tired, when you're feeling like you've had enough, when you're feeling like you're losing heart, be faithful. Just be faithful. Be faithful to the things that are know, you know are true. Be faithful to the things that God has taught you. Uh, be, be faithful. Um, when it talks about being blinded, um, I love the fact that he used that illustration. I, I, I can't help but wonder that he used that illustration because of his own life and his own um, salvation, his own gospel story that's found in Acts chapter 9 when on the road to Damascus and there's this blinding light and all of it. I just can't help but like Paul, as he's saying these words, again, you've got to put things in their context, right? As he's talking about being blinded. He, if, if his... Lord, take this from me, take this from me, take this from me. And three times, and God says, nope, nope, nope. If it was his eyesight as a result of being blinded by the, the light of the glory of God, um, then this, this is even more powerful. Because he's talking out of his own testimony. He's talking about it out of the working of God in his, in his own life. Um, the light that's mentioned is the light of the countenance of God. And... Um, People without Christ are blinded. But we need to be faithful, faithful to the word, faithful to sticking with what God's word says and not compromising. And so um, that was one of the evidences that's found in the text for him. Here's, here's the second one that I wrote down. Not only do we need to be faithful, but uh, we need to be bold. Look at verses of five and six. It says, um, it says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Um, we need to be people of God who are, are bold in our, in our walk with Christ, bold in our serving Christ, bold in the message of who Jesus Christ, bold in that he must increase I must decrease. We need to be people who are strong about the only hope that we have is not found in some system. It's not found in who you vote for. It's not found in our hope is found in Jesus Christ. And we need to be bold in Jesus Christ. People who are focused on the Lord Jesus Christ do not lose heart. Bold in the message of Christ. And bold in the power of the Holy Spirit. I love that it says, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. I, it amazes me constantly, more and more as I get older, that God takes this guy, 
God takes you, and through the power of his spirit, people's lives are changed. Like, that's an awesome reality. And God calls us to this. And so we need to be bold in the things that God calls us to. Don't worry, there's another point coming. We need to be bold in these things because God chooses to use us for the sake of the gospel in our world. And so he says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus as Lord. Paul didn't shy away from, you need the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the answer to the world's situation. He is the answer to uh, making things right and the relationship with God being restored. And he was bold. He was bold about it. He was bold about the good news. He was bold about the fact that if you don't trust the Lord Jesus Christ, you, you're going to go into a Christless eternity. But it's through the finished work of Christ it's through the satisfaction of God's wrath by Jesus Christ coming, living that perfect life, dying on the cross, raised again, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the gospel. And not about you, not about what you do, not about how hard you try. Stop trying so hard. I love the message last week. Uh, Sue and I weren't here, but we watched it and, and we kept going back to pick up the, 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 the backpack, right? If you were here, you remember that. And the condemnation that goes with that. No, there is no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. Why? Because the gospel is so awesome. Because the gospel is working in us. Be bold. God, help me in my life to be bold. Here's the next one, though. Be humble. Those things are not in opposition to each other. But be humble. Paul doesn't lose heart because of the nature of his humility. Look, look at that verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We have this treasure. What treasure? The gospel treasure. The work of Jesus Christ treasure. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Why does he say that? Like, what is a jar of clay? What did that mean? Um, the, probably the best way I can explain it is, we have this treasure in everyday dishes and not in your good dishes. We have a set of um, dishes in our house that's up in a cupboard. We've lived in our house for 15 years. I think it's been out twice. Because Sue doesn't trust me with, no, that's not why. <laughs> those are our, those are our, when we were getting married, like that was on our registry, right? That was like, yeah, we want this. And so we got some plates and we got some, we got some bowls and we got some, and we never use them. <laughs> we never use them. When the kids were little, never use them for sure. Because one of those little rug rats was going to uh, get, because we'd be at a different table and they would move, they'd trip, they'd fall, they'd break the plate and it would be an awful thing, Right? The gospel of Jesus Christ is not stored in fine china. Why? Because then we would become a part of the thing. We become the important part. And, and it's the gospel that's the important part and not the fine china. That's really what he's trying to say here. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Our daughter who, um, who lives up in Muskoka, she buys her everyday dishes at, um, what's it called again? Thank you, at Dollar Tree. 
right? Because if you drop one and it breaks, you go back and it's $2 for a plate. It's not a big deal. Um, so what this text is not saying is we're not a big deal to God. That's not what it's saying. What it is saying is we have this treasure in everyday dishes. Just go back, look at what the text says. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Again, I'm always amazed how God works in us, how God works through us, but we're just jars of clay. We are not fancy dishes. It's not about us. It's what's on the plate. It's what's in the bowl. It's what God has delivered. And so Paul, in his boldness to preach the gospel, says, but I understand something. And he's saying, it's not about me. It's about this awesome story of Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to be about as God's people. Humbly, humbly living our lives before the Lord and in our world, but with a desire that people would see what's in the pot, what's in the jar of clay. And it is the glory of Jesus Christ that's been worked in us. Humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the right time he might exalt you. The surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You know, in my Bible, it's just across the page in 2 Corinthians 5.20. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. So he's not saying that being a jar of clay is not important. Because he goes on in the next chapter and he talks about we are the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We, as though God is making his uh, proclamation through us and God does that and he works. But, but it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about what God is doing in you. I love the humility that Paul expresses in the text as he talks about this. Um, Look, look down at verses 8 and 9 as he talks about a jar of clay. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Why? Why? Because we carry in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. So that people will see the working of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection. The reality of taking that on ourselves, our salvation through Jesus Christ. It just, it pushes us forward. So I'm not going to be overwhelmed. I'm not going to be torn down. I'm, I'm the word perplexed, afflicted, persecuted, struck down, not crushed, not in despair, not forsaken, not destroyed. Why? Why? Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And it's at work in us. It's at work in us every day. And it should be in us every day a little bit more as we move forward, not to be saved. We're saved in Jesus Christ, but living our lives out for the glory of God. Be humble. Be humble. And then the last thing I've chosen out of this text for this is um, you have this mercy by this ministry by the mercy of God. Don't lose heart. Here's the point. Be hopeful. Be hopeful. Look at verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So I have this ministry. 
So Paul's talking about the gospel. We have the gospel ministry. Uh, he could talk about it and talk about church planting. He could talk about uh, the way that he served churches. He could talk about the people he worked with. He could talk about so many different stories. We have this ministry. The gospel of Jesus Christ is at the core of it by the mercy of God. You have this ministry, the gospel, by the mercy of God. And so what does that ministry look like in your life? Maybe, maybe this ministry in your life right now is raising two little kids who looked pretty angelic up here, but I'm pretty sure there are days, right? Because I know my parents is a wonder I'm still here. Like, is it, there were days, right? Um, you have, your kids are your ministry. You have this ministry by the mercy of God. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. God's given you an opportunity. Pretty cool. Okay, I'm done focusing on you. That's enough of that. So. But you have this ministry of the place that you work for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have this ministry by the mercy of God. You don't deserve it. And God's given you this thing. That's, that's grace and mercy. Really, it's one coin, both sides, right? And God not giving you what you deserve and giving you what you don't deserve. You have this ministry. You serve and hope kids, you have this ministry by the mercy of God. You don't deserve it, but God's giving you an opportunity. Um, in the challenges in your neighborhood, you have this ministry with those people by the mercy of God. Don't lose hope. Don't lose heart. Trust him. Be hopeful. Here's the second point of this message. Focused on his glory. Focused on his glory. We have this ministry for the glory of God. We have this ministry by the mercy of God. We have this ministry for the glory of God. Do not lose heart. I could preach until the Lord comes back and we will not drain the pool of understanding about God's glory. But it was important to Paul. He mentions it in this chapter in verses 4, verse 6, verse 15, and verse 17. God's glory is important. God's glory is preeminent, right? Um, we talk about in our church, what's the purpose of the church? To glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission and the spirit of the Great Commandment. That's why we have what we have is to bring, to bring glory to God. And uh, over in Isaiah, um, i got to find Isaiah. Um, in Isaiah chapter 42, um, here's what it says. I love these verses. These are heavy verses. They should weigh heavily on us as we think about God and his working and his glory. But it says, it says this in verses um, 6 to 8. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeons, from the prisons, uh, those who sit in darkness. And he says this, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. So we have this ministry for God's glory. For God's glory. Well, how do we see God's glory? How do we learn about God's glory? Um, Sue and I had the privilege just a few weeks ago to be out in Canmore, Alberta. If you've never been there, you need to go. Um, I, I, we'd been there before. I'd seen it before. But um, on the first morning we were there, I was sitting at the table in the room that we had and, and um, had my Bible open. And I opened the blinds 
and there are the three sisters. Not three Catholic nuns. The three sisters are the mountains that are right in front of your face. And it is awesome. God's creation. You want to see God's handiwork? You see it in God's creation. You want to see God's glory? You see it in his creation. We, we run around so often with our heads down. So we were there for a few days, and the first day you're just like this looking around going, oh, that's amazing, that's amazing. The second day I open the blinds, like, oh, that's cool. And the third day I open the blinds, like, I wonder if it's sunny today. Right? Look and see God in his creation and how awesome that is. His handiwork displays his glory in his creation. His glory is distributed, in, shown to us in his attributes, his, his love for us, his unfailing love for us, his sense of justice and holiness, but grace poured out on us as we've trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. We should see the glory of God, and it should keep us in awe of him. We see it in the work of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what he did, and how he came, and what he accomplished, and how he satisfied the wrath of God on my behalf, and we should be like, God is awesome. See his glory. The glory that's demonstrated to God by his word. If you're not in his word, you're not going to see his glory. It's seen in your transformed life. When he brought you from darkness to life. It's seen in the working of his spirit in you. We need to see God's glory. You see, the text, going back to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says in uh, verse um, 15, for it's all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving, what? To the glory of God, so we do not lose heart. So we do not lose heart. So here's a few principles I want us to see in this about the glory of God. The first one is see grace. See grace and see grace extended. For it's all for your sake that as grace extends to more and more people, as, as we see in our church God working and see grace extended to more and more people, it should cause us to give glory to God for the way that he works. Um, grace extended in saving. Grace extended in forgiving one another. Hey, church, you need to be a forgiving church. And if you struggle with forgiveness with others, it's because you're just not taking a good enough look at your own heart and the struggles you've been through and God's forgiveness for you. So grace in salvation, but grace in forgiving and then, and then grace in persevering together in the journey. It's a struggle. Sue and I, I'll be careful, I just said it's a struggle and I'm going to use an illustration of my wife. That could get me in trouble. But um, 43 years we've been married. 43 years. She's had to persevere, believe me. And she's demonstrated grace over and over and over and over and over again. And I love that Paul talks about grace. I think he's talking about salvation primarily in this text. But, but grace extends. Are you extending grace to other people? Are you persevering with one another? When it gets hard, do you persevere? Do you stay with it? Do you extend grace That verse goes on to say, for it's all for your sakes, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving. It may increase thanksgiving, what? To the glory of God. To the glory of God. 
It's a couple of weeks ago now, because I was preparing this message, and um, I originally prepared this message to preach in our church first, but then the schedule changed, and I preached it down in Niagara a couple of weeks ago, and, and just before that weekend, on the Friday, probably Saturday morning, I woke up in the middle of the night, couldn't get back to sleep, and uh, I was just thinking about things to be thankful for, and I was thinking about that church first, because I was going to be there that weekend, and just so many things God had been doing, how he'd been working down in, um, it's now called Hope, Niagara, um, and then I started to think about our church, and God's goodness to us, and being thankful. See, when you're struggling with what's in front of you, Paul Whittingstall's story, most of the time, it's because I've forgotten what God's done back here. I've taken my eyes off of God's goodness. And I've forgotten so many, many things. Think about God's goodness in our church. Think about God's faithfulness in our church. A couple weeks ago, and I got permission from them to tell you this story, but um, the elders asked Doug and Pat Grote, who are in the service, to, to come in. We wanted to meet with them. Actually, we wanted to bring them up here. But that really wasn't their heart for all of this, which is great. I appreciate their humility in it. But we wanted to say thanks to them. Faithful people. Um, Centennial Community Church, which joined together with Harvest at the time and now is Hope Bible Chapel, these folks were around long before any of that ever happened, right? And, and the name Centennial was because in 1967, a church was planted. And they've been faithful. They've seen stuff and they've been faithful. And we wanted to, as elders, express to them our thanksgiving for their faithfulness because we were remembering. Um, that's a good thing for us to do in our lives. You need to do that in your life. You, you need to remember, God, you need to count the blessings that God has poured out on you, poured out on you, poured out on you. Because when you're looking ahead and you can't see how God's going to do it, and he will... You get the faith to move forward in that because you stopped and you said, well, God did that and God did that and God delivered me out of that and God brought us through that and God blessed us with that. Then you turn around and you go, well, of course God's going to do this. Of course he is because he's faithful. I love the fact that he ties back to that, that Thanksgiving needs to be expressed. You all, you all need to go home this afternoon and do an inventory of God's goodness and his faithfulness. I heard this quote a few weeks ago. It said, we lose hope. We become filled with fear when we stop working, when we forget and take our eyes off of the active working of God and his word. Remember. That's what he says in the text. It's all for your sake so that his grace extends more to more and more people. It may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God so we do not lose hope heart. Well, then one more thing. We need to see, we need to remember, and then we need to look. Look at verses 16, 17. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being re renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Our outer self is wasting away. Hey, I'm going to turn 60. What am I turning this year? 64. I'm going to turn 64 this year. This outer self is wasting away. I got things that hurt that I didn't even know I had a few years ago. Right? This outer self is wasting away. And you can fight it. You can, you can do all you want. At the end of the day, 
The outer self is facing, is, is wasting away, but the inner self is being renewed. It's being made new over and over and over again. Not being saved over and over again, but this inner self is being renewed. And then he goes on in verse 17 and he says these words, this light momentary affliction. This is Paul talking. This light momentary affliction. I'm in kindergarten in the school of suffering compared to what Paul had gone through and would go through. And yet he calls it, he uses those words, he calls it this light momentary affliction. And I think sometimes how difficult my life is and how hard it is and how I'm struggling with things. And it's like, look at Paul and see his light momentary affliction. You want to see it described beautifully in Scripture? You see it in uh, 2 Corinthians um, chapter 11. And so uh, go on over there because I want you to see these words. Uh, 2 Corinthians um, chapter 11, verses 23 to 28. So this is the guy who's describing this light momentary affliction. Five, or I'll start verse 23. Um, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false prophets, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. These light Momentary afflictions. God forgive me for complaining about the things I struggle with. How lame I am. How lame we are. And if that's not enough, he says, and apart from other things, there's a daily pressure on me for my anxiety for all the churches. These light, momentary afflictions lead us to an expectant hope. See, Paul's hope wasn't tied to this world. His hope wasn't tied to what would be accomplished. He was faithful to the gospel. He preached like a crazy man that people would know Jesus Christ. But that's not where his hope was found. That's not what distinguished him. Um, when you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the last verse, as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Our light affliction is light compared to what others suffer. Our affliction is light compared to what we deserve. 
Our affliction is light compared to what Jesus suffered for us. Our affliction is light compared to the blessings we enjoy. Our affliction is light as we experience the sustaining power of God's grace. Our affliction is light when we see the glory that it leads to. His hope was not in his circumstances and what he was going through now. His hope was found in that last verse, as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. I'm sure that reflected a little bit on what he was talking about that was going on in people's lives and the ministry he was involved with here. And God is doing a work and we may not see what God is doing on this side of heaven. But he talked about the things that are unseen and he's looking forward to glory. He's looking forward to heaven. He's looking forward to what God is going to do. Well, so what? I have this ministry. What is that? What is that for you today? By the mercy of God, you deserve so much different than what God's allowing you to be a part of. And primarily in the gospel, I have this ministry by the mercy of God. But it's not for me. It's not fine china. It's, I'm a clay pot so that the glory of Jesus Christ might shine. I have this ministry by the mercy of God. I have this ministry for the glory of God. Teach me, Father. He must increase. I must decrease. He deserves the glory. I'll look back. I'll see what you've done so that I can look forward with faith and trust you and watch you do what only you can do for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and the challenge that comes from it. Lord, I thank you for this text. It's been so helpful for me through the pandemic and, and through days of transition and just difficult times that I have this. I don't deserve, I don't deserve anything you've poured out on me, and yet you do. Would I be a man of God who glorifies you in the way I serve? Would we be people who get our eyes off of that we think we're something, some fine china, and then and you are lost in the mix of that? And get our eyes fixed on we're clay pots and you in your grace and your mercy use us for your fame. Work for your glory in my life, in our lives, for the fame of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.